Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spouse Spouse with Susan Reynolds. Welcome to Spouse Spouts. It's me, Susan. So, um, well, goodness, I was going to do a show last week and then I realized it was Valentine's Day and I got all all over the place because I'm trying to get back onto a weekly schedule, but it just didn't happen last week. And then, of course, the shootings happened or well, the shooting happened in Parkland, Florida, and it was just the most awful. I hate to have a long pause like that because I'm trying to find my words, but it was without a doubt one of the most awful things I have ever witnessed happening in a school. And it was just something that I felt that I needed to not do a show to be mindful of how people were feeling and still are feeling, to be thoughtful to those who are hurting out there, who are scared. And I thought, you know what? I'm just not even going to bother. Not because I think my show is that amazing and that so many people are listening. It has nothing to do with that. It's about being reverent and respectful to people and being kind to others. And so I wanted to not do a show because I just, I didn't want to add into the noise. And it's really what it comes down to. I had no desire to just add into the noise because of course, after the shooting, There's going to be a lot of noise and some of it's good and some of it's bad. And the unfortunate is, is that the negative comments that are coming out about these children and their families have just been atrocious. And I I can't believe that people would buy into conspiracy theories like, you know, like, oh, this kid from Parkland is actually an actor who's been planted at all these different schools to try to stop, you know, to try to stir up a gun control debate. I mean, seriously, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever read in my life. I mean, and I've read some pretty ridiculous things, but that is without a doubt, unbelievably ridiculous and disrespectful. And so I just didn't want to add into that last week. I wanted to take a step away and hug my family a little bit closer and let my friends know I love them and care for them. And and that's about all I could do. And my heart goes out to the families in Parkland because your lives have been forever changed. And I am truly sorry for that. And I hope that one day, I don't know what I'm hoping for, actually. I just, I hope one day your heart doesn't hurt as much. And that somehow through all of this pain and tragedy, something good, something beautiful could potentially come from all of this. Um, And I'm not saying by gun control, I'm talking kindness and love and respect and, and understanding towards others. That's my hope is that we love each other a little bit more and we show a little more kindness because I think we need it. And I don't even think that I know we need it. So I'm very sorry to all of you families in Florida for everything that you're going through. And if, me, along with the millions of other Americans, could do something to make this better for you. I know we would. So may you all, I don't know, may you all find love through all of this tragedy. So I'm going to move on now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift gears very quickly here because if I don't, I'm going to just sit here and cry for the next 26 minutes roughly, and that's not something that I would like to do either. 
But I'm going to shift gears and talk about Black History Month because it's February and it's Black History Month. And I love Black History Month. I think it's really an exciting month for some reason. I don't know why. I, I've loved it since I was a little kid in elementary school and a DOD school overseas, learning about the contributions of African Americans in our nation's history. Again, I love the phrase, they are, we are all part of the fabric of our history. And I love learning about the contributions of African Americans in our military. I think that's an equally important area to discuss and learn about. So I'm going to start out with a brief history, little synopsis here of the origins of Black History Month. The story began, so here's how it goes, and I learned this from History.com, so from the History Channel. The story goes that Black History Month began in 1915, approximately half a century, 50 years after the 13th Amendment abolished slavery in the United States. A Harvard-trained historian named Carter G. Woodson and a prominent minister, Jesse E. Moreland, founded the Association for the Studies of Negro Life and History. And this organization was completely dedicated to researching and promoting achievements of African Americans and people of African descent in our country, in the United States. Today, the association has a new name, and they are the Study of African-American Life and History. And I, I love that. I, I, I love that they, uh, their name evolved with the, with the times because, as we all know, and what some people like to call as political correctness, which I always say hooey to that, we have changed names. We have found acceptable language on what to call people. You know, we don't use the term crippled or handicapped as much as we used to, as we say disability. Just like we don't use the term black or Negro, we say African-American because that is the correct and respectful name for our African-American citizens. So I love that. I think that's really, uh, I think that's really great. And in 1926, the second week of February to coincide with the birthdays of Frederick, Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln was the National Negro History Week. And that then went on to inspire schools and communities and organize local celebrations, establish history clubs, host performances and lectures all around our country to celebrate the contributions of African-Americans in our military. But it took a little bit longer because that was 1926. So now we're going to have to fast forward a few decades. So by the late 1960s, mostly in saying, well, not mostly, but uh, due in large part to the civil rights movement and a growing awareness of African-American heritage and identity, we had gone from a week to Black History Month across college campuses. And in 1976, President Gerald Ford officially recognized Black History Month, calling upon the public to, quote, seize the opportunity to honor the too often neglected accomplishments of Black Americans in every area of endeavor throughout our history. 
I thought that was a, a really great quote, end quote. Uh, and I really just like that. And since 1976, every U.S. president has designated February as Black History Month. And they have also endorsed a specific theme. And this year's theme for 2018 is African Americans in Times of War, marking the 100th anniversary of the end of World War One. And I... I think that's so exciting because, well, one, I'm a military spouse, so there you go. There's part of my excitement. But two, I have long believed that because of the military desegregating before the rest of our nation, we helped, hopefully, I could be wrong, but I, I, this is my personal belief, that we helped blaze a trail for desegregation across our country. And I'm going to read to you a little bit about how that all went about in the contributions of our African-American citizens starting all the way back to the American Revolution to present day. So we have to think about this one, and I don't think we really do. The first casualty of the American Revolution, sorry, resolution, what was I thinking? The first casualty of the American Revolution was a man named Crispus Attucks. And I remember studying about Crispus Attucks when I was a kid in elementary school and even going on into middle school and high school. He was a former slave, and he was killed during the Boston Massacre. And in 1888, the Crispus Attucks Monument was in, unveiled in the Boston Commons. And I think that's really exciting. The first African-American Minuteman was a man named Lemuel Hayes, and he fought in the Battle of Lexington, he had been an indentured servant who had enlisted in the war after earning his freedom, and he later became a Protestant minister. And moving on, we have our first field grade officer in the United States Army, Major Martin Robison Delaney. He was the first African-American field grade officer in the U.S. Army. He led the 52nd U.S. Colored Troops Regiment and became the first line officer in U.S. Army history. He was also accepted to Harvard Medical School because of racism, to be very honest. Uh, He was accepted to Harvard Medical School, but he was kicked out three weeks later when white students petitioned for his removal. That's super nice and really racist. Thanks, guys. And then we have Corporal Freddie Stowers, or Stowers, I'm not sure how to say I'm thinking it's going to be Stowers, and he is actually a Medal of Honor recipient. And on September 28, 1918, he served as a squad leader of Company C of the 731st Infantry Regiment of the 93rd Division. He went above and beyond the call of duty when his with his company when they led when they led when he led the attack of Hill 188 of the Champagne Marne sector in France, according to his medal. Of honor citation, the medal was presented to his family, his surviving sisters, during ceremony, ceremonies at the White House in 1991. Something that hits a little bit home is the Montford Point Marines in North Carolina. They trained at a facility called Montford Point that operated out of Camp Lejeune from 1942 to 1949, when our military was segregated. Still. While the achievements of the Tuskegee Airmen and Buffalo Soldiers are well documented, because they are, these Marines received little recognition, and Congress recently voted to honor about 20,000 
of them with the Congressional Gold Medal, Medal, which is the highest civilian honor. And again, we have um, another Medal of Honor recipient, uh, First Lieutenant Vernon J. Baker. He received a Medal of Honor for his extraordinary heroism in Italy during World War II. He was a second lieutenant then, and he was promoted. Uh, Baker demonstrated, I'm reading this, outstanding courage and leadership in his destroying enemy installations, personnel, and equipment during his company's attack against strongly entrenched enemy in mountain terrain, mountainous terrain. The federal government later acknowledged that racism was the reason he did not receive his medal until 50 years later. And that is something. If you really think about it, that is absolutely something. And then we have the Tuskegee Airmen. And I've heard a lot about the Tuskegee Airmen as an Air Force spouse. And Benjamin O. Davis, Jr., who was the commander of the 99th Pursuant Squadron and of the 332nd Fighter Group, which were both part of the Tuskegee Airmen. He also became the first African-American general in the United States Air Force. And um, I think that's just amazing. I, I really do. When my husband was in Iraq years and years ago, the unit he was in um, or part of in Iraq was the 332nd, which was the Tuskegee Airmen unit. And four of the, oh gosh, I think there was only maybe four or five remaining Tuskegee Airmen, who meaning alive, came out to Iraq. They were flown out to Iraq to visit with these airmen, and my husband got to meet them, and he said they were the best men he's ever met in his entire life. And he was just floored by their kindness and their humor and their feistiness. He said they were just still so feisty, even though they were in their 80s at that point. And I'm so glad he had that chance to meet living history. Those men are living history. And I'm going to move on to General Daniel Chappie James, Jr., who was also a Tuskegee Airman. He was the first African-American to become a full four-star general. He ended up commanding North American Air Defense Command, which made him, which I believe is NORTHCOM now, but that was he was responsible for all aspects of defense for both the United States and Canada. But we cannot forget the women. And I think we need to remember that we have African-American women also serving. And one of them was Harriet Waddy. She was the one of the highest ranking African-American officers in the Women's Army Air Corps in World War II. And she went on to say, she said that joining the segregated military and accepting the situation which does not represent an ideal of democracy was not a retreat from our fight, but our contribution to its realization. And this was a quote from the New York Times. And before she entered the military, she had been an aide to Mary McLeod, McLeod I think I said her name right, Bethune. And that's just some, some, very, a very small amount of our African-American service members and their contributions. I'm going to do my quick, 
clip from Armed Forces Insurance before I head back over and talk a little bit about how our military desegregated and the contributions um, after that. So hold on just a moment. When I'm on base, I'm known as Staff Sergeant Cooper, but at home... Daddy! Hi, Dad. Daddy! Hi! I'm known as Dad, and I wouldn't have it any other way. We know home is at the heart of every military family. That's why we founded Armed Forces Insurance, to protect the property of our fellow servicemen and women. Call 1-800-633-2006 for a no-obligation auto, home, or renter quote, or visit www.afi.org. At Armed Forces Insurance, our mission is you. And I'm back. So I want to talk about what happened in 1948, July 26, 1948, with President Harry Truman and his executive order 9981. He integrated the military and mandated equality of treatment and opportunity. He also made it illegal per military law to make a racist remark. Although desegregation took many years after that, and there were a couple of setbacks. Um, I remember reading how by 1950, Truman had asked the Army Chief of Staff to retire, basically resign. He asked him to resign, so he ended up retiring because he was still so slow on integrating the Army. But the last all-Black unit wasn't disbanded until 1954. But that, that, that law, well, that executive order was signed in 1981. But moving forward from there, the integration from Truman's executive order extended to schools and neighborhoods as well as military units. So anybody involved in the military, they, they had this, this was extended to them. Fifteen years later, Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara issued another directive, and it was DOD, Department of Defense Directive 5120.36.36, which read, Every military commander has the responsibility to oppose discriminatory practices affecting his men and their dependents and to foster equal opportunity for them, not only in the areas under his mandate immediate control, but also in nearby communities where they may gather in off-duty hours. This directive was issued in 1963, and it wasn't until 1967 when the first non-military establishment was declared off limits. But what that did was it, that directive showed to our African-American service members that now their command has been ordered to ensure their safety, especially in the segregated South back, back in the 50s and 60s, but to also ensure that their families had access to education, had access to, well, equal education. Since in 1954, we had, the, we had uh, Brown versus the Board of Education, which desegregated our schools, which ended segregation. But it ensured the safety and welfare and the well-being of not just the service member. It wasn't simply the service member. It was the families as well. And I think that it's important to remember that because we, we, I think we forget that we had service members in World War II that could not fight African-American service members that could not fight along, you know, <laughs> fight along uh, their white 
service members. And how ridiculous is that? I can't imagine the military not allowing that today. That just doesn't even make sense. You know, it's, it's so ridiculous. It's such a ridiculous thought to me that we couldn't, that we, that, that was even allowed to happen. So the mandate from Robert McNamara was a very big deal. And it's something that I'm glad happened um, because that's what got, that's what helped ensure the safety of our service members. It also started the bar list, you know, like things that are barred from us to protect us. Um, People who choose to take advantage of us as military families. And it's an unfortunate, but this happens. And, and that's unbelievably ridiculous still in this day and age. So I'm going to switch gears again a little bit, because apparently I am flying through this episode today because I, very much enjoy talking about history. And apparently I enjoy talking about the history of African-Americans and their contributions to our military. Um, I'm also going to talk a little bit about the contributions of African-Americans in the disability movement. Because uh, Drunk History just yesterday or the day before just did um, a really great episode about the Section 504 sit-in that lasted 28 days, if I'm not mistaken, out in San Francisco to get 504 passed. And it's it's just, it's absolutely hilarious, first of all. I mean, it's seriously one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It's not safe for work because the language is definitely salty. But I highly recommend it, and I will more than likely share it on the Spouse Bouts Facebook page because it is seriously funny. Because it's drunk history, and it's funny. But it's also moving, and I, I loved it. So I am a big fan of disability advocacy because that's what I do. And I am um, a, an even bigger fan of breaking down barriers because we need to. Being a disability advocate, that's what you do. You break down barriers. And I learned last year, or I learned a few years ago, uh, about how, about this, 1977 historic sit-in in the federal building in San Francisco over Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. And there is one man who stands out in particular, and, her, and his name is Bradley Lomax. And Bradley was a member of the Black Panther Party in Oakland, California. And he was huge, huge disability advocate because uh, Bradley actually had, if I'm not mistaken, multiple sclerosis and needed a wheelchair and which meant that because buildings were not ADA compliant in the seventies, he had a really hard time getting into anything. I mean, any building, you name it on a bus, he couldn't do it. And it was Bradley Lomax that helped bring the black Panther party and other advocates to the San Francisco, the federal federal building in San Francisco, and they brought food and water and helped care for people and provided services. And it was amazing. It's just, it's really, really, really amazing. And one of the biggest parts that we don't, I don't think a lot of people know about it is that if it had not been for the Black Panther Party's involvement, especially in feeding some of these advocates, the sit-in would not have been successful. And Bradley had MS. And so instead of being angry, he, 
he helped. He helped advocate and helped ensure the passage of Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. And I just, I don't know. I think that's wonderful. I There's something truly amazing about having your passions guide you and not down a path of anger, but on a path of change. And that's exactly what Bradley Lomax did, as well as all of those advocates in 1977. Sure, they were angry, but their anger didn't take control. What their anger did was fuel their passion. And I can tell you, I understand that greatly. It is, um, it's something I struggle with all the time. Is my anger in control or am I going to allow it to flow through me to fuel my passion to create change as well as to advocate for the equity and equality of people with disabilities. So I understand that. And I, I love learning more about Mr. Lomax. I, I just, I, I would, I wish I could travel back in time to thank him in all honesty. I really do. I wish I could. This is one of those really rare moments where I really do wish I had a time machine and I could do that. I would go back and say thank you to him because he was instrumental in providing not only care for people, but the passage of Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. And I don't know if many of you know this, but Section 504 is applicable in our school systems as well for our children as part of their education. If they have food allergies, if they have healthcare issues, that impact their learning, there it is, 504 plans. And it's there for us because of people like Bradley Lomax. And then all the other advocates that were out there making sure change happened. So Black History Month is going to be ending soon because, well, this is a short month and next week is the last day of February. But I really encourage you all to Take time and learn more about the contributions of African Americans in our military, but not just in our military, but African Americans across our country. Had, <clears throat> excuse me, I had I never knew about, um, you know, I, I, because I was so young, and 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 this happened in the seventies. I always thought Black History Month what had been the norm. Forever, I didn't realize that it wasn't um, a month-long celebration until 1976, and I'm glad I learned that. Uh, and I'm glad that I learned more about the people who were instrumental in starting this. Um, Carter Woodson—that's an amazing, what an amazing man, and the life he led and the things that he did to further the support of African American heritage. And I'm sure some people listening are going to ask this question. Hey, Susan, you're a white girl. Why are you talking about Black History Month? Um, Really? That's what you're going to go with? That's ridiculous. Yep, there's my favorite word again. That's ridiculous. I'm talking about it because I find that it's important for all of us, every single American, to understand where we come from and who we are. Because where we come from got us to where we are today. And where we are at this moment will set a path and a course towards our future. And that is something I absolutely believe in and something that we need to ensure that we, we learn from and focus on. Because if we don't learn from our history, we are doomed to repeat it. And I have no desire to repeat history because it's exactly that. It's history. It's in the past. I would like to personally 
move forward and continue learning and, and seeing new things and new inventions. I think those things are important. So I just I have this terrible tickle in my throat right now. Holy bananas, it's driving me nuts. Oh, my goodness. Um, so I personally think that Black History Month is an important month. I think that our kids need to learn about it and celebrate it. Just like next month is Women's History Month. And again, I, I'm going to talk about the contributions of women in our military and women across our world and what they have done. And I think that we need to remember these things. Ooh, the little lady who only talks to me on the show just told me that I only have 90 seconds left. So I'm going to wrap up this episode and say thank you all for listening to Spouse Spouts. Um, I'm trying to get it together, I promise. I'm trying to get more shows together. It's just, it's been a very busy time, and I'm sorry about that, and I'm working on it. So, and I feel a little scattered today because I've had way too many ums and yeahs and so's, and I can't stand that. Usually I'm a little better scripted, so I do apologize for all of that. And usually I don't have this ridiculous tickle in my throat. But I would like for you all to take this last week of February and do what you can by learning about African-American history and our nation. It is, it's an exciting, exciting thing. And, um, and I like learning about it. I think history is fun. So thank you all very, very much. I hope you have a good rest of your week. I hope you all enjoyed your Valentine's Day. If you didn't, I'm sorry about that one too, but I can't do anything about that. That's all on you. Uh, And I hope that you take this time to learn a little bit more. We're going to slide into March pretty soon, and I can't believe it. And I've got about mm, 16 seconds left, so thank you for listening to Spouse Spouts. This is Susan Reynolds coming to you live from Fayetteville, North Carolina, soon to be a whole other duty station. Have a great week, everyone, and I hope you enjoy your day. Bye.